0: I shall never suffer private convenience to interfere with what I
1: conceive to be my official duties. The words of President George Washington, and this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the challenges facing
0: the Republic this week. We'll look at the coronavirus and how it is affecting our nation and the world, and we will cover the presidential primaries well and wrap with our Guardian of the Week and some final thoughts. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. So
1: Patrick, uh, where do you see our challenges to the Republic this week? Well I wanted to start with a gauntlet that you threw down uh, on Twitter I guess it was uh, Thursday morning this morning yep this morning yeah, yep we're we're doing this now at one
0: o'clock and I I woke up and I I, I don't typically do this on Twitter no you don't um, um, so uh, so what you you want to read it or you want me to read it for you I think I should probably read it um, okay so I what I wrote was and it was in response to a number of tweets that I had seen earlier that day. From Bernie Sanders supporters, who I going to remind everyone again that I voted for Bernie Sanders in twenty sixteen. Uh, it's not that I don't know why I should make that public, but I think it's important to say I'm a Bernie, I like Bernie Sanders. There are things about Bernie Sanders that I think are fantastic, um, but there were a number of the Bernie supporters who were basically saying, "Yeah, you're on your own now. You know, good luck, Democrats. I'm out, or I'm voting for Trump." And so I, I wrote something. W- And I have to admit, I don't know if you caught this when I wrote it, but let me be absolutely clear. You were staying at home in 2020 these last weeks because you stayed at home in 2016. Now, I did take a line of Bernie Sanders, right? Let me be absolutely clear. And that's what I had in my mind. Mm Because I like when he says that. Because when you say, let me be absolutely clear, you're, you're being, you know, he's like, listen carefully. And what I'm saying is, you—you, you I'm going to repeat it again. You are staying at home in 2020 these last weeks because you stayed at home in 2016. Now, what ended up happening was I got a number of different responses, a number of people liked the tweet, there were some retweets, and then I got some really angry responses to the tweet, basically saying, you don't know what you're talking about, largely I think from Trump fans, uh, Trump supporters, um, who said, well, what, where, where do you get off saying that? And my response wasn't, you know, it, it, it's unusual, I don't typically stay In the world where um where i fight back at people or have people coming at me um and so uh, one one person wrote to me uh something to the effect of you're saying that if everyone if if anyone was the president we would be in this situation aren't you you know isn't that the truth and what i wrote back was no that's fair but what i'm suggesting is that had we a president who had brought the world together in january who had kept ties with our allies a worldwide effort could have stemmed this issue. Without that effort, yes, we would need to do what we're doing now. And President Obama were the president at this time. If in December, if the CDC was still operating in China, and we had notification that this was what was going on in December, and the, the alarm bells were started ringing, then how might a different president have moved forward with this process? And I said, this is in my imagination. In early January, what would have happened is President Obama may have reached out to President Macron and, and President Merkel and said, okay, we've got a real problem on our hands. How are we going to handle that? And this friend of mine said, yeah, that's how it would have been handled. I said, well, would, had that happened, could we have stemmed it to that point? And he said, in fact, we could have. What would have needed to happen is some very delicate um, diplomacy where you really had to shut things down. The way you shut things down in March and April... You had to shut things down back in in January when this first started, and then it could have just stayed in mainland China. Um, And it would have taken American leadership to pull that off because China is such a strong uh, global power, and the only one who could do that, really, start that process was America. And I just keep thinking back to when President Trump um, pushed past that other (laughs) leader, I think it was like three years ago, where he Mm -hmm. wanted to get to the front of the line. And that's not the kind of style that President Trump deals
1: from. Um, well, our only other option here, and again, this is all hypothetical, would have been Hillary Clinton, right? So the, the question would have been, would Hillary Clinton have been um, an, uh, enough accepting of the risk of a shutdown of China, which would have affected the global economy, when uh, there might, there would have been a lot of skeptics out there saying, you know, we really don't need to do this. This won't be any worse than... Uh, SARS was, which was a problem, but was Mm -hmm. one that we were able to handle without um, the the kind of drastic measures that you are uh, proposing now. I haven't heard enough from um, epidemiologists to say that, uh, yeah, in the end, this was no different. This would have been no different from SARS if we had handled it better. Um, So I'm not, I'm not quite convinced that we wouldn't be sheltering at home right now um, until I hear from epidemiologists who tell us that this is, in fact, um, could have been very similar versus that, no, no, this was different than any other virus we've seen before. So this would have been something um, much more unusual than than we've dealt with in the past. So that technically we probably would have had to seen the whole world, at least at some point in time, uh, do some social distancing. So I'm... Um, until I hear more evidence, uh, I'm not going to be convinced. Although the underlying point that you're trying to make, which was this would have been handled a hell of a lot better with a different president, not only in our country, but worldwide, uh, certainly holds water.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's my and that that is the overall point. Um, and maybe it was just a little too clever by half. But this idea of, well, I'm going to stay home. Well, that's what happened in 2016. And now what we have is moving forward to the next point. Um, we have right now a, a president. Um, who we mentioned this last week about hydroxychloroquine, um, and you were mentioning this and saying, why is Trump so fixated on this particular
1: drug? And you suggest now we know. So
0: what your you say about that? Well, now
1: there are reports that he has investments in a company that produces this drug. Um, So he has financial interests there. How
0: is it possible that someone could be so short-sighted? To, to, to think that it's more important to make the extra, I don't know, even $10 million to do that. It, it,
1: it seems bizarre to me. Does it to you? Well, for a normal person, yes. For, for Donald Trump, I mean, all bets are off if, we're, if you want to ask these kinds of rational questions. I mean, he makes more sense than, than a lot of others. How about uh, Kelly Loeffler from from Georgia? the senator you, right who who yeah. she 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 found out about this beforehand she uh then went and sold stocks uh, you know with with the knowledge that uh stock exchange, her husband is the head, of, um, the head of the new york stock exchange new york stock exchange right <laughs> right so and then it was you know so what's she doing to make up for this right now
0: She's giving back the money, or she's she's liquidating her stocks now, right as the market goes back up, at least in the dead cat balance that we're experiencing over the course of the last couple of days, perhaps I mean maybe maybe the with the Fed giving two point three trillion dollars I mean you know the, it's it's a lot of artificial, like six point six million people again today uh, apply for unemployment, and the market goes up by six hundred
1: points yeah it it's you yeah. had a, you had a good analogy for her actions, and I can't remember what it was now. That's now she's, uh, you know, saying, Oops. oh. So,
0: oh, I, I, it's something I read. I, it wasn't mine. Um, but it was as if she shoplifted. She got caught and she said, well, I'll give it back. So we're, we're all good, right? We good? Um, and no, <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're not good. Uh, it, it isn't good. Um, and, and back to the hy- hydroxychloroquine, because I had to really learn how to say that. There was a very, uh, and a huge moment. I thought this week, uh, when um, at one of the press brief- one of the press briefings, the president, uh, Dr. Fauci was out and was being asked a question about hydroxychloroquine. And President Trump stepped in front of the lectern and said, he doesn't need to answer this. I've answered this 15 times. You don't need to answer this question. And, and basically turned to Dr. Fauci and was like, don't answer this question, which is shocking it's a, it's a shocking situation. It's, people say we should acknowledge the fact that this is not normal. This is just't normal. And if I will say this if President Clinton, if Hillary Clinton were the president during this time, I I, I don't believe I do believe that she would have been able to keep her allies and keep the, the world moving towards a positive goal, which is what America has done since the Second World War as one of the as the superpower of the planet. And without that in that position, it ain't going to happen.
1: You would expect that even as partisan as, as our nation has become, and it would still be partisan, uh, deeply partisan divided if she had been president, that she would be more trusted on this issue than, than Donald Trump is. Uh and in fact, you know, Dr. Fauci, we're going to talk more about polling around COVID in a bit, but I just wanted to point out, you know, one of the questions in our Monmouth University poll that was released on Wednesday was just off the top of your head, which public official do you trust most? Who do you trust most on this? Uh, Anthony Fauci, 35% just named him off the top of her head, far and away uh, the top person that was named. In fact, Andrew Cuomo at 23%, the New York governor, beats out Donald Trump at 20%. Uh, that's how far down, and usually you would see the president at or near the top of that list, regardless mm-hmm. of who the president is, and regardless of the nature. And that's just how bad it's become. Is that so? So, and and it, and Trump makes it worse on himself because he keeps pushing, you know, pushing Fauci to the side. You're push, pushing the most trusted person because that person is stealing his limelight, stealing his message. Without realizing, the more that you put that person up front and show that you're supporting that person, the more likely you are to get. Uh, people on your side to, to, to sw- sure. swing uh, the public towards you, uh, but Donald Trump is, is incapable or unwilling to capitalize on this moment.
0: Well, uh, there are other things that are causing him challenges in, in building trust. The firing of the Inspector General Michael Atkinson this past week, who was supposed to be watching over the $2 trillion, I believe that is it was Atkinson. I mean, Atkinson was the, the inspector general for the Ukraine situation.
1: We right. He, he was the one who turned the call over to Congress, the whistleblower, it
0: took yeah. turned the whistleblower over to Congress and did it the right way. But is maybe you can answer this. I, I I'm not sure. Is Atkinson also the person who was responsible for the $2 trillion that was no, going, is that someone else? Who I, he think he I think that's, I think that's somebody else. Yes. He, well, he, he also he, fired, he, he also fired a whole host of
1: of inspector generals because there's the the inspector general in uh the justice department then each individual agency has its own inspector general and he's just like it sounds like he's firing a whole so there's
0: somebody who's guarding the hen house right in 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 this metaphor and the fox is standing outside but there's somebody guarding the hen house and now what you're basically saying is the hen house is not guarded anymore yep when you get rid of the inspector generals
1: yes and, and, and it was barely guarded to begin with that what does that problem. do
0: to, a, to to a democratic republic well it undermines it
1: because remember the, the the whole idea of a a democratic system of government is that there are checks and balances and those checks and balances exist at, at so many different levels uh, you know that's why our our government is supposed to move slowly that's why you don't get the A revolutionary movement that many of those Bernie Sanders supporters that you were responding to are demanding all or nothing is because if if you go to an all or nothing, then trust in the process breaks down. Once once trust in the process breaks down, then you no longer have a democracy. I mean, you just are opening it up for an autocratic system of government. Chuck Grassley, who was a big whistleblower
0: Uh, Backer, right? That's one of his things. And he voted to acquit President Trump, right? And there was some thought that he would at least want to hear the evidence in the trial, which we never did here. Well, Chuck Grassley came out this week and wrote a a strongly worded letter (laughs) to President Trump about General Michael Atkinson's, the Inspector General Michael Atkinson's firing. Sort of saying, yeah, we can't. We need an explanation as to why there's supposed to be 30 days. There's supposed to be notice to Congress. None of that happened, and we need to know why you are firing this person, who by all accounts did their job properly.
1: That's a it's a great example uh, in terms of Grassley and what he did with this, and what he did with um, the impeachment. Is that there are folks out there who are still operating in this fantasy world that everything is normal. And under normal circumstances, yeah, the Senate senator, the head of the Judiciary Committee would send off that, that, that letter, uh, would, ask for a, would ask for an explanation, would be able to parade uh, uh, officials from the White House in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, get an answer, and probably change what was going on. And Grassley is still operating as if that is still the system. I think you know here in lies the problem is that they just are not they just don't want to face the reality that that there this threat is is viral to use the current term and you can't stop it with the with the normal processes you have to intervene in a different way so you know okay kudos for for Grassley for writing this letter but guess what it's not going to mean anything because we're not in a normal process where the other side of the of uh, Pennsylvania Avenue is acting normally. There's a
0: thread that I sent you um, on Twitter about uh, journalists asking questions in the press conference. And I know it's something that you've been harping on for the last number of weeks. Um, You want to go into that a little bit? Because it's interesting
1: stuff. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't have the thread in front of me, and so I can't credit. If you can dig it up. Seth Abramson. Seth Abramson, thank you. I want to say it's Seth Abramson. He's got it. That's who it was. Uh, So, uh, you know, a journalist himself. Uh, I've been critical of the White House press corps. Uh, throughout the entire Trump administration uh, because they, they really aren't calling him on it. In fact, uh, if I can dive, uh, go off on a tangent for a second here, we just found out that CNN, uh, Mike Pence is not allowing any of the medical experts from the COVID task force to appear on CNN because CNN will no longer carry Trump's part of the press briefings every day. They'll carry the medical experts, but they won't carry Trump. Good for them. Um so I suggested that maybe another alternative to this, if they want to get these experts on individually, is uh, show Trump, but have real experts on, not their usual talking heads, not the talking heads that they have under contract, but true experts who can respond to Trump on split screen in real time, anytime he says something that's false. So that's one um One of my uh, suggestions there. But in terms of what Seth Abramson was saying, he's saying the problem with the press is that in journalism, you're you are trained to Mm. to phrase a question with a with a piece of context information and then ask your question. And he says, the thing is, you enable Trump to then step in and answer your question on the context that you gave. Yep. he can and he can interrupt you because you've you know basically the journalist questions are two thoughts let me set up the context now let me ask the question and what he's saying is that if you just ask a question you can't get interrupted but if you ask say make a statement and then ask a question trump can interrupt you at the end of the statement and not look like he's stopping you and then answer whatever he wants so if you say this is what's going on in china then you never get to your question because Trump can then simp, interrupt and just start talking about, well, China is horrible or whatever he wants to say about China. Sure. He can go off on his own tangent. So what he's saying is journalists are are just being, you know, basically uh, fooled here into thinking that, that they're being able to ask a question. And he said, he suggests there are a number of different ways to ask questions. Um, the one that I like the best is is the legal one, which is basically using a cross-examination technique that litigators use, which saying— Here's the statement: Agree or disagree? Um, that you that your question is the statement. Um, so, but but the point that I that I think I thought he hit on really well is that the problem that journalists haven't figured out yet is that their old mode of asking questions, which was the setup and then the question, doesn't work with Donald Trump because he's very good at just using the, the setup. So I, good, but that's the key.
0: That's the key to everything in the in a COVID nineteen world and in a Trump world. It's the people and the companies that are going to be nimble enough to make adjustments to what the current situation is that are going to thrive. If you are a journalist and you're asking questions as if you were talking to Ronald Reagan or George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, or George W. Bush, you're doing it wrong because you have to put the president into a situation where he has to answer the question, or if he's not answering the question, it's clear that he's not answering the question. And how to do that without, you know, I don't think it's so bad uh, to raise the ire of the president. The question is, how come people don't ever come back at the president? Right. Can you answer me this, Patrick? If someone, if he says, you're a disgrace, you're a disgrace, what stops a journalist from saying, is it not disgraceful to lie to the American people, sir? Yeah. Is that is that inappropriate? Yeah, is that-, that Will that keep you out of the press room? Is that why people don't do that?
1: yeah, it will keep you out of the press room uh, in this administration in particular. Uh, and it's because that they're just they're still trying to abide by this their their old rules of engagement. And this is the same thing with Chuck Grassley, this is the same thing. It's just that they don't grasp how different this context is. And they need to make an adjustment. To, yes,
0: they need to make an adjustment. And Jonathan Carl, I want to talk about Jonathan Carl just for a minute. Jonathan Carl's been around for a really long time. He's you know, a, from ABC. and right? when yes, when President Trump said you're never going to make it. First of all, it's just mean. It's just rude. Just rude. And you know what? Jonathan Carl's at the top of his field. He's the he is the White House press correspondent for ABC News. He's also the head of the White House press corps. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I don't I don't think that just because you have power, you should be allowed to be so rude. And if someone is that rude, why someone can't be rude back and say, is it not disgraceful that you've lied? Is it not disgraceful that you did nothing for the first two and a half months of this because you were worried about the economy more than you were worried about the lives of the American people, sir? If you throw a sir at the end, can't that happen? And
1: if you say it in a very nice tone, can't that happen? Yeah, I don't think you can come back directly. And I don't have, a, but there are things that you can do to come back. Okay. Yeah, so, I, and I think they do. I, I, yeah, and I do think that they're not prepared to do that. Um, because what happens is, this is the same. Trump will change the, the way that he's answering the question based on the information that you set up. And that what we've seen is is reporters who have tried to come back at him end up getting caught up in the context that Trump then created, rather than being able to command the situation themselves by getting back to their question.
0: The art of war, Lao Tzu, the art of war. So what should happen with these these journalists, some of them fine journalists, is they should understand that their opponents President Trump looks at them as their as his opponent. You're fighting me. You're, I'm at war with you. So if you have someone who's at war, if you're at war with them, use Lao Tzu. I said no, it's not Lao Tzu. I said this on the air, and then a friend of mine called me up and called me an idiot. And they were right. It's not. I'm gonna look it up and say who who wrote the Art of War. It's worth it because I've done this wrong. The Art of Sun Tzu. Oh, so much better. Sun Tzu. It's Sun Tzu. It's not. okay. so Sun Tzu is the art of war. That's what I recommend journalists read. It may help them. We want to talk about the Queen right now. You have some thoughts about the Queen.
1: Uh, Yes, uh, because let's let's end this with something. You know, we're talking about world leaders here and something a a little bit more positive. But the Queen made a rare televised uh, speech. It was only four minutes, but it's rare. rare. I think she's only done this uh, a few other times. She did it when Princess Diana died. Um, she does it every Christmas. She has a Christmas message, but this is one of the special messages that, that happens rarely. And what is fascinating about her was her ability to, and, and this resonates a lot more in Britain than it does here, her, her ability to call on the steel of the British people during World War II, which, of course, she was a teenager for and uh, you know was, was in the middle of. And so she could use, you know, inspirational tropes from that time, such as We'll Meet Again, which was a famous song during World War II. It became the song of, you know, we'll all be reunited after this war is over. Uh, and, you know, just that sense of, of continuity, um, you know, that you can get through. And we just we don't have that over here. We don't have a head of state uh, that can promote that. But I, what I think is interesting is that uh, you know, my, my own governor, Phil Murphy of New Jersey, has been actually calling on the, those kind of Churchillian Winston Churchill statements and sayings and perseverance in his uh, briefings every day, uh, which I think is, you know, is really interesting that we do have a lot of parallels to draw on. And one of the things that, that I really found most interesting, I was watching it one day, uh, Senator Cory Booker was on with him during one of these briefings. And he said, you know, he said to the governor, he said, I really appreciate you bringing up all these things about uh, Winston Churchill because he's inspirational, but also bring up all the things that happened here in, in this country, and partic- particularly here in New Jersey. And one of the things that he brought up was uh, the, the perseverance and, and uh, survival of Washington's army during the worst winters in the smallpox uh, rampage and all these other things that happened uh, here during the Revolutionary War as one of the things. And I thought that was really interesting considering what you and I talk about every week. And my my friend,
0: uh, my historical advisor on turn, Daniel Shippey of the Breed's Hill Institute, just this past week, uh, I commend this to everybody to, to take a look, find it on Facebook. Breed's Hill Institute did a three-minute video as General Washington during the time of Valley Forge comparing the situation in America today to the situation for the Continental Army during Valley Forge. So please, if you have a moment, go take, take a moment to look up Breed's Hill Institute on Facebook and go take a look at that because it, it, it was it was quite inspiring and beautiful to see. And he's a wonderful Washington. Yeah. So there are a lot of inspirations out there. Yeah. And we'll t- we'll get to that in our final thought. But we're going to move on now to the number one pollster in America, Mr. Patrick Murray. Can you tell us you had a new poll that came out this past week um, and you had some news
1: and I have some questions around the, that news. So tell us, what did you learn? All right. So we actually released a poll on Wednesday, and so did a whole bunch of others. And we're all showing the same thing. That little bump that Donald Trump got uh, at the end of March uh, for the initial reaction to COVID has looks like it's going away. So his job approval rating is 44% approved, 49% disapprove in our poll. But more specifically, his handling of COVID in our poll is 46% good job, 49% bad job, which is a flip from just two and a half weeks ago, when it was 50% good job, 45% bad job. So that's flipped on its head. And as I said at the time, I think the initial bump that we got for for Donald Trump, which is nowhere near the bumps that the governors are getting, that, uh, that the other world leaders are getting, who are dealing with this, that any leader normally gets in a time of crisis because they're capable of understanding that they need to pull the, the country or their, their state together. So he's not able to do that. And it was all just like that, that small bump was, I hope he can do this. And then two weeks later, people saying nah, that nah, he couldn't do it. You know, we compare this to governors where we have 72% say that their state governor is doing a good job. 66% say the health agencies in the federal government are doing a good job. The Anthony Fauci's mm-hmm. of the world are doing a good job. Uh, we even got uh, an increase, a slight increase in uh, the, the media doing a good job. It was uh, basically split. 45% uh, said they were doing a good job, and it's uh, up a few points to 48% uh, in, right now. So the media are starting to get a slightly better reviews on this as well. Uh, so that, you know, that's the, the some of the key things. We're, next week, we're going to take a look at, um, at the impact on people's daily lives and their emotional well-being in, in a poll that we're releasing then. But uh, this time, we're, we're finding that, uh, you know, that the, the reaction to the federal response versus the state response is now just really really, really huge. 60% say that their state is acting appropriately in all the things that it's doing. That's unchanged from a month ago. Only 35% say the federal government is doing enough. That's down from 47%. So there's a state governments, you're doing a great job. You continue to do a great job. Federal government, eh, you might have, we were mixed on whether you were doing a good job before, but now you're definitely not doing a good job. And then particularly, you're not helping out the states enough. This is that whole thing about uh, Donald Trump and Jared Kushner's talking about the federal government being a backup. We talked about this last week. Like if you know, if, if one state, if, if, if the Russian army or a Russian submarine fires on Seattle, Washington, does the Seattle National Guard respond to that, and the U.S. Army acts as a backup, or does it, is it the other way around? And in this COVID crisis, the public are saying this is the equivalent of that. The federal government needs to take the lead and not be the backup.
0: There was a moment this week, uh, I think it was today's Friday, no, today's Thursday, tough to remember, I need days of the week underwear. Um, I think it was maybe Tuesday or Monday, President Trump came out and he said, all the states have everything they need, Uh, everything's being taken care of. And you know, I almost believed him until I found out, no, it hasn't changed. The states still don't have everything that they need. States are helping other states, uh, but, but there's a there's a, a a supply issue where the president is releasing ventilators releasing masks but then the states have to buy it from a middleman so it's all weird business now there was also a CNN there's also call.
1: also there's a lot of states that are reporting states and localities that are reporting that they had a bid in and, and Cuomo's talked about this a lot they actually had yep. a bid in for buying equipment and then when they went to finalize the purchase it was gone because the federal government had bought it out from underneath them so you're telling the states go out and do this, and then you're under. I have all right. I've got one more poll I want to talk about. Um, it's the Lincoln Project,
0: um, which is a former. It's a Republican group that's against Trump. Never Trumpers. Uh, Steve Schmidt, uh, Rick Wilson. You know, it's a interesting group, and they said Trump's worst nightmare is Republican voters turning against him. It's happening, and it says here in this poll. Um, 40% of 2016 Trump voters say the president did not take the coronavirus seriously enough early in the uh, crisis, up 17 points since early last week. Uh, 66% of independents and 66% of Americans say the same, a 10-point increase from last week. 53% of Trump voters say Trump got it about right initially, down 7 points, and 1% say he overreacted. I reached out to you about this and you said, yeah, it's not going to change
1: anything. Do you still feel that way? Uh, As of right now, I do. So let me get a couple of things. One, the the Lincoln Project, an interesting group of guys. I think they just all endorsed Joe Biden after Bernie Sanders pulled out. They came out and and endorsed him, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But the poll that they're citing is not their poll. It is actually a Democratic poll. It's a a poll by an organization called Navigator, which is uh, actually made up of two Democratic firms. So one of the things that I look at when, when I see this kind of thing is, what's the question being asked? And what, what are you actually taking away from him? So the question is, are you, uh, uh, did, did Donald Trump take it seriously enough early in the crisis? All right. And so among Trump voters, that went up from 23% because they're, they're polling every day. It went up from 23% in late March to 40% now. So it's jumped up. But having Trump voters say that he did not take it seriously early in the crisis is different from them saying that he's not doing a good job now. Sure, and that's. But might it? Yeah, I get it. But might it
0: turn two percent? You know, the people who the people who lose someone, and we're all going to have someone that we're connected to. um, I I think that's a different. It's a
1: different question. There's no way to predict until we know what the final outcome of this crisis is. Okay. This yeah. So this is, this is why these questions are interesting. And it's interesting to feel that, you know, more people are saying, Hey, you know, maybe Trump was wrong then, but he's still right <laughs> now. He, he's still got it right now, but I'll, I'll give you, I'll grant you that maybe he didn't act quickly enough, but he's doing the right job now. Yep. So that's why I, I'm not convinced yet until I see something more concrete on that question that says, That and yes, and some of them have actually now changed their mind because they don't think he's doing a good job now. So that's that's why you can't draw from that one question three different steps down the road of people changing their behavior. And that's one of the things. That's one of the things we teach when I when we teach polling. It's one of the things that we teach all the time. Measuring an attitude does not equate to having measured the behavior.
0: However, when it comes to independence, these we were talking about Trump voters. People who are on the fence, now going to going to the Lincoln Project back, you are correct, 23 hours ago from one forty eight p.m. on Thursday, um, the Lincoln Project is very proud to endorse Joe Biden for president. So let me just say this, with Bernie Sanders dropping out of the race and Bernie Sanders supporters mad as heck, these Lincoln Project people better be endorsing because this is what they were begging for, an alternative to President Trump that they can feel good about because they couldn't feel good about Bernie Sanders. Um, so yeah, they're, they're endorsing. And let's move on to that for a minute. Let's move on to the news of, um, of Bernie Sanders has stepped out of, uh, he has suspended his campaign. He is still accumulating delegates because he's still on the ticket, but it's going to change the dynamics of the race without question moving forward, in my opinion, in, in a big way. And the most important way for me is President Obama is now sort of released to begin um, campaigning, in a way, for his vice president. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's clear. And the word was that uh, uh, President Obama had been speaking to Bernie Sanders quite regularly over the past few weeks. And I think it became clearer that as this crisis was developing and Bernie Sanders' path, which was almost nil to begin with, was going to become even more so, With these uh, primaries being pushed off, that uh, Bernie Sanders would be seen as uh, as as one of the uh, villains in this episode. If if it turned out to to all start going downhill and he was hanging on throughout all this, and I sure because that's what changed his mind. There were
0: Democratic voters in Wisconsin who was who were out there six feet apart, um, making sure that their vote was heard because they wanted to be seen. They wanted it to be known that they supported bernie sanders or they wanted it to be known that they supported joe biden now it's tricky also because there was a supreme court a local supreme court
1: a state supreme court uh seat that was up as well yeah that's what they say that that's why the republicans wanted this to go ahead this election to go ahead because they felt that they would Oof. be able to uh, hold on to that state supreme court seat which is has a lot to do with uh, backing up uh, the voting rights issues that they're dealing with in, in Wisconsin, abortion issues, and a whole host of other things that conservatives are worried about. That and was that a was
0: bad there. look for the United States Supreme Court,
1: as and far and as so, was so, concerned. And the United States Supreme Court backed up, not, they, they didn't rule, the United States Supreme Court did not rule on the election itself. What they ruled on was uh, the absentee voting period. Right. Because the governor had said, uh, okay, well, if we're going to do this, then what we'll do is. Any any absentee vote that we receive by April 13th will be um, accepted. And the Supreme Court said, no, your election day is April 7th. It has to be postmarked by April 7th. So what we found, why a lot of those people were standing in line, they had asked for absentee ballots three weeks ago. Some of them are just telling us they got, them, got it to the day after the election. So they had asked for their absentee ballot so they didn't have to go out and risk their lives uh, and never got the absentee ballot. So, you know, this is this is pro- this is really problematic for uh, and, I, and I hope that this more than anything else will lead to some some voting reforms. But it just doesn't seem that the Supreme Court, and particularly John Roberts, who's like, nope, election day is election day. That's been one of his uh, guiding principles all along.
0: Yeah. Um, well, Sanders is now out. Um, there are uh, he I, I watched his 13 minute talk. Uh, where and th- what I was looking at most carefully was the moment where he called uh, Joe Biden a decent man,
1: um, and I thought that that was important because yeah, there was
0: there was authenticity in that. That hopefully there, he there can is, but his supporters.
1: Bernie Sanders can't get off of how important his how all important his his views are. Uh, I actually uh, watched him on uh, Colbert on Wednesday night. So Colbert had an extended interview with him and Colbert asked him, so when are you giving the, your full throated endorsement to, uh, uh, to Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders just went on and on and said, well, we're working with his advisors. We're looking to ways that we can work together and to find a way that we can work together. And, and you can see Colbert just starts laughing and he says, so is there at any point when you can actually open up the throat and give the endorsement or not. And and Joe Biden, uh, uh, excuse me, Bernie Sanders goes back to, well, we're working to see if, make sure that we can work together. And it really, the, the message was, Joe Biden needs to still move to my position or else I'm going to send out these uh, signals, these subconscious signals to, to my followers, those people that you were responding to on Twitter, that Joe Biden, as decent a guy as he might be, still isn't there yet. So what's the point? That's this is Bernie Sanders' problem. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get that things things in a in a republic move move incrementally. It's it's set up that way to avoid chaos. They have a feeling, the Bernie Sanders followers simply think that if they can if they can get a revolution, they can get chaos. They're going to get all this great change. And they simply don't understand the history of revolutions. The American Revolution would have failed and and devolved into chaos too if we didn't have leaders like George Washington and Ben Franklin who came together and said, oops, something's going wrong here. And we need to change our system of government to something that operates a little bit more incrementally rather than this Wild West system. And that's what the folks like Bernie Sanders have lost sight of. Yes, Yes, there are people who agree with your views and agree with ideas like, Um, uh, universal health care and there are a lot of people who don't for for various reasons and some are self-interested and some are they don't understand what that means or or, or are unwilling to accept the trade-offs but what you don't understand is that if you insist that it has to be done via revolutionary means it means you might get it in the short term but in the long term you're going to get chaos we've seen it in every single revolution in the world
0: well one thing that we saw this week was President Obama um, came out and praised uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, um, which was bizarre. And and there's a there's a problem with this. And I'll get why, to it why did you say
1: why did you say bizarre?
0: Well, because President Obama does not comment on people in this way. He doesn't. He doesn't. It was it was an endorsement of some sort. It seemed. Uh, and almost suggested, and there's a, there's there's a fly in the ointment. I don't use that expression, but it just did. There's a fly in the ointment, though, which is because what it suggested to me originally before I looked into it deeper was that Obama was floating the idea of Senator Warren being the vice president, uh, vice presidential candidate for, for Joe Biden. But here's the problem: Charlie Baker is the governor of Massachusetts. Charlie Baker is a Republican. If Elizabeth Warren became the vice president of the United States, that seat would become vacant and Charlie Baker would, unless something magnificently weird happens, would put a Republican in that seat. So though Elizabeth Warren might be the right person for the job, the way I think Sherrod Brown would be the right person for the job, a um, great person for the job, how, how could Biden choose somebody and then lose the Senate seat along the way? It seems unreasonable that he might do that. So I, I don't quite understand why president
1: Obama would come out and say this. Do you, I didn't view it as anything other than, uh, I mean, she made a strong statement about uh, the oversight that's needed for, uh, for, for this aid that's going out uh, around the pandemic for the, the stimulus package. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, my understanding though in Massachusetts is that they're although they might have changed what they've done, is that they they, they require a special election at some point. They can rep- they can appoint somebody temporarily in Massachusetts. And how long would that would that temporarily uh I think less than five months because they still have to call an election. And
0: Warren isn't up for re election until twenty twenty two, I believe. Mm-hmm. So if then I guess that it would be possible then. You could see but I mean it would it would it would be a, it would be a tough five months but that was the only I mean, it, this is my this was my process my thought process originally was oh my god they're gonna go with warren makes a lot of sense she's gonna be very strong she's a female maybe she can help bring some of the bernie supporters over even though bernie supporters are angry at elizabeth warren for not coalescing behind bernie but then i got bugabooed with the fly in the ointment with uh with the senate you know with with the senate seat from massachusetts but We'll see about that, and maybe we'll do a little bit more research before we go into next week. Let's move on now to our Guardian of the Week. You proposed a, a, a really interesting Guardian, which I fully support. Yes. Yeah, so What'd I, you go
1: with? I think we need to acknowledge uh, the, the workers in grocery stores and yeah. who are delivering food, uh, who are... Many ways, making uh, many cases, making minimum wage, but putting themselves on the front line. And there's a story in particular, uh, Leilani Jordan, who was a grocery worker. She has she had cerebral palsy, and just felt that she needed to go into work, and and, in order so that senior citizens could get the food that they needed, could get what they needed. And she ended up catching the coronavirus and dying from it. Um, Now, that might be an extreme example, but we have many examples of people uh, who are just uh, being courageous simply because they need to feed their family by having the job, and they're putting themselves on the front lines and doing this. And in some cases, uh, you know, many cases, their employers are stepping up to the plate and providing them with the kind of protections that they can give in this situation, plexiglass barriers and the the hand-washing facilities and being able to distance yourselves. But other employers are not stepping up. Uh, and making sure that that, this, that their workplace is as safe as possible, and these people are out there making sure that the rest of us can eat. And so I think that you know we need to acknowledge them as as true guardians. I mean, we would not be surviving without them doing their job right now. It's true. And to add on to
0: that, again, just the healthcare workers who every night at seven p.m., my family and I go out on our little balcony and we yell and scream and cheer for them. And it's a great feeling of um appreciation for he- the hero our modern-day heroes. They're like the firemen who went up into the buildings on 9-11. I mean, it's a similar, it's similar, you know. You don't know every time you go into work whether you're going to catch this um this virus. So they're to be uh they're they're to be lauded and and appreciated in every way. The grocery store workers and the healthcare workers, they are our guardians. Our guardians of our republic and our guardians of the week. Before we wrap
1: up this week, do you have any final
0: thoughts for us? I do. It's a it's a little uh, trick that I've been using, and it's hard to do. It's hard to do every day because you know when you wake up and, you, and the first thing you do is many of us is we reach for our phones and we say, "What's going on? Do I have any texts? Do I have emails?" Uh, for some people, do I have a Slack? I'm new to Slack. It's a it's a it's a, a big thing, um, and what I what I've been doing. Is trying to find three moments of, um, of grace before I pick up that phone. Three moments of gratitude. Finding three things to be grateful for. For me, it's pretty simple. Um, the health of my children and my wife and myself. And that we have enough food to eat. Um, and that we have a roof over our heads. You know, that's simple stuff. But that moment helps to put, hopefully, for me at least, a prism to the day. Right, It's like looking through a, a rose-colored glasses for 15 seconds or 30 seconds before we dive into the reality. Because there's that moment where you wake up and you, it, it's before you remember that we're living in a different world than we've lived in our entire lives. So mm-hmm. a, a solve to that, just a small solve, is this moment of, uh, of gratitude, of yes. three minutes of gratitude. Not even three minutes, three specific things that I can find to be grateful for. And it does help. does help. A great
1: uh, meditative word of advice there. All right, so that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. If you have any comments or thoughts for the show, please reach out to us on Twitter at GuardiansOTR. And please remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes on your favorite podcast
0: app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends and family. If you enjoy the show, they'll enjoy the show. And we would love to have as many listeners as we can to start getting these ideas out into the world and into our country. Also, check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining
1: us, and we'll be back with a new episode next week.
0: We'll see you then.